This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for being a patron at patreon.com slash the tome show. For your misconceptions, stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 313... We're going to make a mashup character as we discuss multi-classing in the last of our series on classes on the classes of D&D. And yes, I'm flying solo since Tracy had to go deal with some work things tonight. So here I am, but I am not alone. Joining us in this episode is the monstrous ecologist himself, Jeremiah McCoy. Welcome back. Greetings and salutations. My uh, my Skype tells me that we haven't talked in four months before tonight. Is that possible? Uh, maybe? We need to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also joining us is the Tome Show social media manager, Ishmael Alvarez. Hello. And once again, as has been true for, I think now most of the class series, uh, our resident historian on loan from Tribality.com, Brenda Stoddard. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks very much. Absolutely. So, so this is our, our the final episode in our, our series on the classes. Um, so uh, we're currently getting some more advice topic feedback from the patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. So this is probably a good time to, to thank them for their patronage. A special thanks goes out to Keith Bryan, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, our very own Jeremiah McCoy, Doug Palmer, Joe Morris, and Aviv. Thanks to all of you for your support. Uh, One of the topics that was suggested by a patron uh, was involving running mega dungeons, which seem to sort of be in vogue these days. So I think that's what we'll talk about in the next advice episode that we'll record in January. So we're about to talk about multi-classing as our last class-based conversation here. Uh, As I like to do sometimes... Uh, I want to talk to Brandis first. You are a resident historian. Multiclassing is kind of a different animal in terms of what we've done in the past, but I thought I would check in first. Is there some history of multiclassing that you want to lay on us before we get started? Oh boy, is there. Uh, so multiclassing goes back to first edition AD&D. Um, and it has always been a really strange animal uh it's doing something different almost every edition mm-hmm. it's usually doing at least two different things which is, is on message i guess yeah i think that's fair. I mean, also I mean, makes it, it there it's always doing the same thing and allowing you to mash up two different classes but it's always doing it in a very different way does that make sense yeah yes so in first edition and second edition those are the two most popular out of the whole deal um you have two different multi-classing systems. Uh, one is called multi-classing, mm-hmm. and it's for uh, non-humans. It's, for, it's mostly for your half-elves and elves, with a little bit of support for everyone else. Um, half-elves were always the best at multi-classing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the idea here is that you split your experience points between your two classes, and they uh, they progress uh, on their own separate XP charts normally. Um, right, because this this was an era when uh, you know the different classes leveled at different rates. So it might yep. take a thousand experience to level one class, where it took five thousand experience to level another class. And so if you got 200 experience points for this fight or this session or whatever, then you would just split it. Noble Knight Games has been serving the needs of thousands of gamers worldwide uh, so since 1997. Huge selection of over 30,000 unique products, including discounts on most in-print games of up to 50% off or more. Noble Knight Games is the place for out-of-print RPGs, board games, war games, collectible card games, miniatures, and all things game-related. They ship worldwide and will purchase or trade your titles you no longer need, new, or used. Your satisfaction is guaranteed. Just visit www.noblenight.com or visit our website for direct access to thousands of new, out-of-print, and in some cases, one-of-a-kind items. They're all restrictions on which race could be which class and which races could be which multi-classing combinations. Well, and as I recall... As I recall, there was a there was a specific list. Like these are the possible multi-class combinations. You couldn't just mix and match as you chose. That's correct. And, and there were a few instances of three classes that you yep. could that you could match uh, up together. There were uh, fighter mage thieves and fighter cleric mages, right? And maybe a few others, but that's most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm not going too far afield to say that. Uh, for the whole history of uh, D&D, the two most popular uh, multi-classing possibilities uh, have been the Fighter Mage and the Mage Thief. And I'd, I'd say the Fighter Mage is a little more popular than the Mage Thief, but it's a it's a narrow margin. Um, people just love combining uh, some Mage, you know, some, some Arcane spellcasting into stuff. Mm-hmm. If you want to combine Divine spellcasting into stuff, there's a different class for that. It's called Paladin. You've heard of it. <laughs> the, they actually, um, there is also that sort of side road of D&D, which is the box sets, where elves were basically just fighter mages, where mm. the races were classes. Right. And, and elves got the for fighter sure. mage. For sure. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, so uh, then you also have... Okay, so so it needs to be said also that all of those uh, advancement options uh, worked within the limits for your race and class. So the great thing about multi-classing in first and second edition was that uh, you were hitting your uh, your uh, level limit for your race and class combination later because you were splitting your XP. Right. That's a big part of the selling point for. Um, non-humans multi-classing so then you've also got dual classing which is uh, in a lot of ways a much messier system um in in my view anyway mm-hmm. um, but but as i recall a more open system more flexible right uh sort of okay so so it's only for humans um only humans can ever dual class and the idea is that you take some number of levels in a first class and then forever stop advancing in that class uh you keep 
some of the abilities in a certain sense. It's sort of odd, but then you jump over into a different class. Mm-hmm. Once your second class catches up to whatever level you reach in the first class, then you get all of the abilities from that first class back. Um, and then there's also a special case where uh, if you uh, advance to uh, anywhere from 5th to 7th level in Fighter, and anywhere from 5th to 7th level in Thief, and anywhere from 5th to 7th level in Druid, you can then start advancing as a Bard. And there is no Bard class other than that. <laughs> uh, other than this, this prestige class, we can only call it. Uh, until later on, they did introduce where you could play from level 1, because... Sure. Why wouldn't you? Right. Have by sec- by yeah. second edition, you could play a, a a bard class at least. Yes. Yeah. In yes. first edition, bards were u- weird, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> they were weird, and if you were legitimately a bard, uh, you had been adventuring forever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the only real difference in second edition is that the uh, level limits for um, uh, race and class were relaxed by several levels for every possible race class combination. So in a sense, there's less pressure to do this, but there's still plenty of pressure to do this. Um, and I think that's about it for significant changes to multi-glassing in, mm-hmm. in between first and second. Then we get to... Um, okay, I guess we should stop for skills and powers. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not looking it up. Uh I'm sure it was a mess. In skills and powers. <laughs> um, you, you could uh, uh, build your stuff that would let you pick up um, features that were not standard for your class, and sometimes these could resemble multiclassing, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, skills and powers uh, f- is the testing grounds between AD&D and 3rd edition, right? And so... Um, sort of. Yeah. I mean, in, in the same way, they sort of did the same thing towards the end of third edition as they were testing out some different things that would end up becoming commonplace in fourth edition. Um, For sure. And beyond. And so, th- yeah. So they were throwing a lot of things at the wall, <laughs> I guess is the point. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, so then we get into third edition. And um, this is the most recognizable from a perspective of. Uh, fifth edition, it just has some quirks that have been removed, and um, it, you know I think that it's probably most accurate to say that the fifth edition multiclassing system was shaped by what they saw as um, undesirable wrinkles in third, right? Um, so uh, because all of the classes work on a unified uh, experience chart. And you don't have a separate fighter experience and wizard experience set. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have your character's experience total. Um, you uh, decide when you gain a level what you gain a level in. Um, and you add the abilities directly. Um, uh, very few exceptions. Yeah. Um, now, now the, the third edition. The only, oh. the only uh, I was going to say, the only wrinkle that comes in is when you uh, advance unevenly uh, between uh, 
multiple classes right. if you haven't paid attention to your race's favored class uh, restrictions you might be taking an XP penalty right uh, and and the third edition rules for multi-classing and the way the classes were constructed um, was very open to like people would grab a level or two in this class in order because there was usually like a lot of abilities in the first like level or two. Yep. Uh, so you take one level in this and take one level in that and suddenly you've got like a ton of, of extra abilities that then stack on top of each other. Uh, and if you are the right race, because uh, I believe human took no multi-classing penalty, right? Um, I think they could declare one as their favorite Maybe. class. Maybe, yeah, something like that. Uh, so I'm not looking it up. Anyway. They, were, they were more flexible, but yeah. So, so I mean, people would do the, a lot of that, you know. They'd pick up just one level of monk or whatever so they could pick up um you know unarmed fighting or one level of of rogue so they could get in a sneak attack and a bunch of other stuff so uh, for, sure. for sure the other significant wrinkle to third edition of course was the introduction of classes that you only entered through multi-classing the prestige classes oh god uh, yeah yeah uh, where you you at some point go yeah I'm going to become a very specialized fighter. I'm going to be right. a very specialized thing. And, you know, then they had the ones that you really could only enter into if you were multi-classing in a couple of things already. Mm-hmm. And it some, was... of, some of them became very, very niche where you had to be planning from like level one if you wanted to go into the, that prestige class. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in fourth edition, they kept the, some um, of those ideas, but they made them tacked on instead of changing classes altogether. But so, so I want to say a couple more things about third edition multiclassing, yeah. super fast. Um, w- one, um, in general, you didn't want to uh, multiclass spellcasters unless you were super sure what you were doing, mm. and you didn't want to have two different kinds of spellcasting unless you had a prestige class that resolved them together. Right, uh, like this the is mi- like the Mystic Theurge. Right. That bring, that, that bring, was so awesome that I found a lot of DMs just outlawed it and said you couldn't play Mystic uh, Theurges. And I'm bringing this up because it's such a huge part of why 5th edition multiclassing works the way it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is that in Unearthed Arcana, they introduced a completely different multiclassing system that was never intended to be power neutral with other classes or with the original multiclassing system. Hmm. Uh, this is the Gestalt system where uh, you you are fully multiclassed in a sense you are uh, your character level is X you are level uh, X in thing one and level uh, X in thing two right Uh, I I always considered the Gestalt multiclassing system as if you want to play if you want to play D and D, that's even more superhero fantasy than D and D already is. Play right. Gestalt, you know. I actually played in a Gestalt campaign ran by a, a friend of mine and Brandis's, actually, uh, who was deliberately setting out to run a high level game. Mm-hmm. Everybody was seventeenth level Gestalt at the beginning of the game. <laughs> wow! So, so we were all super powerful. Yep. That is a, a dizzying array of abilities to walk into with a character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen people play it play using those rules before, but usually it was like, hey, we've only got three players and, and I really want five or six. So let's just make Gestalt characters and we can fill in the, the, the holes that are missing and we'll be a little bit more powerful and it'll be okay. 
and that's a totally valid approach. And honestly, I think it's a big part of what was intended for that right. system. Yep. Um, so I want to now start talking about fourth edition multi-classing because not to be outdone by third edition having two multi-classing systems, fourth edition has three. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I played a lot of fourth edition and I don't remember the multi-classing system there at all. <laughs> so. All right. All right. So stay with me on this. Uh, so the first one is feats. Um, you can spend feats to uh, get particular abilities that represent uh, some dabbling in another class. Sure. And then you can spend additional feats to get powers from another class. And you can kind of do that in fifth to some degree as well. There are feats that sort of replicate that. Right. You've got you've got your martial adept and your ma- uh, magic initiate right. feats that. Are, are to me a clear nod back to that, but also pretty limited still. Exactly. Um, and, and Ritual Caster. I should mention Ritual Caster. Yep. So um, next, you've got your Paragon multiclassing, where instead of taking a Paragon path, you multiclass. Mm. Uh, this is the one I never saw anyone do. Yeah. Uh, but I was not exposed to that many different gaming groups in fourth uh like i had my broader gaming community but it was still only like two dozen people or so and if they weren't doing it i didn't see it um and finally uh i want to say this was round about player's handbook three uh they introduced hybrid multi-classing uh in which you uh very much like look at what this class's hybrid features are and what this class's hybrid features are and try to match them up well and you just mm-hmm. get what you get some of them match up well and some of them really don't right uh, and there's not a fundamental effort to make sure that everything fits well together at all you just need to look at what the class's most desired stats are and make sure those fit together and ideally what they're doing with their armor types and make sure those fit together. Yeah. I sort of get the, now that we're, you're talking about it and I'm thinking back to fourth, my fourth edition days, my, my recollection and my understanding of basically what, how that all played out. And the reason why you didn't really get a strong multi-classing option until player's handbook three, uh, which was pretty late in the game was because I think they were a little multi-classing gun-shy because of the rampant abuse that the third edition system allows. Um, and so, uh, yeah. and and, yeah. and since they their design aesthetic of fourth edition was, well, we'll just keep making new classes, you know, then they said, well, fine, you want to make a fighter mage, we're, instead of giving you a multi-classing s- system, we'll just give you the sword mage, you know? And there, you have a fighter mage, right? Um and then they would do that. They have tons of classes, right? So you could kind of get the the feel of multi-classing without actually having to multi-class and worry about balance issues. I I agree with that. Though I'd also say that what you actually got when you once you built a uh, fighter wizard, uh, if God help you, you decided to do that in fourth edition, uh, had 
almost nothing in common with what the sword mage actually did. Sure. Um, but it was, it was, if you want that feel, then they're going to try to give yeah. you a class. That was the theory. I think is that they were trying to avoid multi-classing by just giving you tons and tons and tons of class options. Um, I will, I will just come out and say that I think D and D's history of being gun shy around class. That is a fighter mage from first principles uh, and not introducing that until uh, later in each edition where it even exists at all is just kind of failing to read the uh, failing to read the audience. Um, <laughs> I think it's a concept that's really deeply popular, mm-hmm. and I don't understand why it hasn't become a core class. Well, and arguably, I would say that in fifth edition, th- there's a fighter mage concept that is a core class. You just pl- you play the Eldritch Knight, which is the the fighter that picks up a little bit of of wizardry, right? That sort of accomplishes the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it also sort of doesn't. Well, sure. <laughs> because, because the wizard spell list is, until you get to Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide with its new cantrips, the wizard spell list is so manifestly unsuited to what the fighter actually wishes he were doing with sure. his spell slots. Um, but you have classes like the Duskblade in uh, 3.5, and the sword mage in uh, fourth edition, as you've pointed out, mm-hmm. um, and then various fighter mage style prestige classes uh, over the course of the edition mm-hmm. that were all uh, aimed at the same concept, but they they came along later or they were you know tucked away in this one book. I mean, the sword mage isn't a isn't treated as a core class because it's uh, in the Forgotten Realms campaign guide. Right. And I, uh, I assume when you say prestige classes, you mean paragon paths. Uh, well, so so we're talking about. I was talking. I was thinking of the uh, the I want to call it a spell sword from three oh, okay. sure. uh, There was a prestige class that was, you know, doing a fighter mage thing, and I'm sure there were literally dozens more that I'm not mm-hmm. looking up right now. Right. Sure. Um, Absolutely. I remember playing a Dusk Blade out of Player's Handbook 2, and that was right. one of the more popular features, or well, the more popular methods of playing what they call a quote-unquote gish. Right. What, my experience with playing box set D&D was that like half the players wanted to play elves. Because oh, uh, of the, the combo. Fair. Yeah, because of the combo. Um, and, and you know, the, the, maybe a, a, another quarter played dwarves and the rest fell into the last quarter. Um, I, yeah, it's, I, I've done multi-classing in mo in first, second, third. I did do the feet thing in fourth at one point and I, uh, I, so far I haven't done it in fifth. Hmm. Uh, but I've come close. <laughs> um, we we still go back and forth in uh, Brandis's game that I play in, where I'm like, I don't know, do I really want to take that next that class? <laughs> See, I, I I have played a. It, I think it's the only game that I've managed to play in fifth edition because I'm normally DMing. Um, but I did multi class. I played a a druid uh, cleric, and it was a tempest cleric. Um, so the idea was, you know, he was harnessing the power of the storms, and so there was a thematic um, overlap there, right? So, anybody else uh, p- actually play uh, a multi-class character in Fifth Edition? Well, let me think. I it was funny. I played a paladin all, almost all the way to level twenty, 
and the last two levels, I'm like, well, I don't actually want the things that this class gives me for levels 19 and 20. So I actually went sorcerer because I oh, was yeah? a nice. Um, it was a nice little. Uh, what am I looking? The word I'm looking for. Um, synergy. Synergy. And uh, I was <laughs> able to get some spells that helped me not die on the last boss fight. So that mm-hmm. was kind of cool. And you get the. I mean. We'll get into the how this works a little bit in a second here, but uh, you get a little bump because Paladin is a partial spellcaster as well. So you take that first level of sorcerer, and you're actually a, a decent sorcerer. Mm. I mean, maybe not decent for a nineteenth level, but but you know, <laughs> to the point that it's useful. You know, you you have spell slots you can expand. Yeah, uh, yeah, and your cantrips are automatically jacked up. So yeah, yes. Absolutely, are automatically dealing like four dice of damage from whatever cantrip you're using. So yes, that yeah, was yeah. nice for a paladin whose only ranged option for the longest time was chucking a javelin up no, to sure. twenty feet. Yep. So, and a lot of times when people talk about multi-classing characters, the 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 thing that gets reiterated in in a lot of gaming circles is oh, it's power gaming. Um. And, I mean, and I get that. That wasn't my experience, that. though. Uh, yeah. I, that was not my experience playing a my druid cleric. Uh, it didn't feel, and, and and maybe that was because I didn't care about the. I I didn't I wasn't looking for a combination that would make me more powerful. I was looking for a combination that made sense for the story I was trying to tell. Right. Right. Uh, and it was and, and it thematically worked. Uh, I like I said, I play in Brandis's game, and I play a, fi- a fighter. He's been cozying up to a a, a, a fairy lord, um, you know, and You're gonna go warlock. Yeah, so I've I've, <laughs> I've 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 thought quite a bit about taking a, a level or two of warlock, mm-hmm. uh, because he's getting really uh, buddy buddy with this fairy lord, and it kind of makes sense that he would make a deal with him, and you know. Mm-hmm. I always hold I, I I pull back every each time I think about it, but I. The story is the reason I want to go that way. It's not because I would suddenly become more powerful. Right. I'm playing a fighter, suddenly changing changing streams to becoming a caster is not actually all that conducive to my power curve. Right. Uh, right. There's, there's no question that in your particular case, you'd be doing it all about the story and the power gain would be really fairly flat. Yeah. Uh, it would give you some nice abilities for, you know, unusual circumstances, but fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see a lot of uh, class dipping still going on in uh, theorycraft situations. Sure. Um, and two levels of fight of action surge, it still stands as just staggeringly advantageous. You you said two levels uh, of fighter, and then you kind of cut out for a second. Uh, two levels of fighter plus anything. Because of action oh, surge. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because getting to take two actions in a round, uh, once per short rest, is just unbelievably good. Right. Uh, and it's good for every character. Um, so it, it particularly matters how much you care about, you know, your other classes' last two levels in that case. Um, it, also, if you're looking at a class with a subclass that you get something especially amazing for subclass feature or features, mm-hmm. then taking one to three levels might be extra worthwhile. Um, right. But um, 
I guess we should talk about the, talk, the fundamentals of yeah. Let's talk about how it works, uh, and then we can get into sort of um, you know how we might advise people to do it. So, so uh, I jotted down some some categories of things worth noting. That that first of all, there is a history of, in D anD D of there being. Um, stat limitations for classes uh going back to like first and second edition like you couldn't be this class unless you had these statistics to 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 match it they got rid of that in third edition but it kind of comes back with the fifth edition in multi-classing because you cannot multi-class into certain classes unless you have the stats to back it up uh right and that was definitely a surprising move when i first opened my player's handbook Mm -hmm. right um I think a lot of people were really taken back, taken back by that for that reason. Although uh, the the limitations aren't severe, like it's usually a thirteen in something, right? It's not like second edition paladins had to had have a charisma of what was it, seventeen or eighteen? Uh, right. It it only becomes a a, a real limitation if um, you're working on something like a, a standard array, and so your scores that are thirteen or higher are uh, quite limited. Right. And you maybe didn't decide until uh, sometime after you had placed those ability scores that you wanted to multi-class. Although at that point you've had a few levels and you may have gained a few uh, stat bumps that you know. So th- so it's also encouragement, I guess, maybe to hold off on either plan your multi-classing from the beginning or hold off on it until you're you're high enough level that you're able to boost the stat that you need to where it needs to be. Uh, and, uh, right. Uh, I'll say that I think. Anytime you require people to plan their multi-classing ahead of time, in in detail, right. I think that's um, it's really it's, really privileging a certain type of player. It's it's, it's narratively really turning difficult. off other types of players. Yeah, it's 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 story-wise, it's difficult. Yeah. Well, it, it gives a lot of benefit to players with a high level of system mastery. Yeah. Well, and- and those and, I, and those who are interested in min-maxing, um, you know, rather than building for narrative, you know. Sure. sure. Uh, the um, it should be noted that uh, while it's thirteen, there are three classes that have a requirement of two stats at thirteen. Four classes. Uh, where, uh, three. Three. The fighter is an ore. Yeah. Oh, it's an ore. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got but, me. Uh, yeah, the I monk, agree. the paladin, and the ranger all have. You must have both this and that. At thirteen, yep. Um, so, it's I. I do see that as being a twofold thing, though. Like my gut, and this isn't anything scientific, but my gut tells me that they did that for Adventures League, so that there wouldn't be as many shenanigans of like I'm just going to take five levels and and five different classes or whatever to gain some like it's, un- a, it's a balance issue. Yeah, but also it kind of guarantees that you'll at least be somewhat good at what you do. So if you come into being, let's say a monk um, and you've got like terrible stats and all of your monk stuff, you're not going to do great at what you do. Yeah. And that's yeah. almost, that's almost to guarantee that someone's not going to bumble into that and then go, wow, my character really sucks. I thought I was going to be a cool monk, but right. my armor class is awful. My, my unarmed strikes are awful. And like my stunning fist doesn't do anything because everyone saves against it or whatever. That's, that's my take on, on why yeah. they did that. If I multi-class into sorcerer and I only just meet the requirement of 13, I'm a pretty crappy sorcerer, you know? So, uh, Well, so the problem is that they then assume you want to play a strength paladin, 
when without this requirement a dexterity paladin works fine mm. uh, and likewise they assume you want to play a dexterity ranger when without this requirement a strength ranger should at least be on the table sure uh, they sure bother giving them medium armor proficiency anyway yeah yeah there there are some things you can't do and i think they're they're trying like it's almost where they would reward you for sister mastery if they didn't have those things because like a dex paladin or a dex barbarian is almost impossible to do they're much harder to to pull off and a, those... a dex paladin is not hard to pull off i on that i strongly disagree it's a it's a uh, tiny like, point for but someone who I'm doesn't stick to have it. system mastery though is what i'm saying like i think you need to know more about it to be able to pull it off uh, it's no harder than playing a rogue hmm. okay so, so they have stat minimums. That's that's where we're at there. Uh, then I broke it down into there are certain things in multi-classing in 5th edition that are based on your total class level. So take the different classes that you have levels in, add them together, and that is your total class level. Uh, so um, you gain levels in that way, and then every time you gain a level, you sort of pick which class you want to advance in. But but you total it up to determine things like proficiency bonus. If you have spellcasting abilities, that determines your the power of your cantrips, um, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and then there's other categories that are more class-specific, right? Um, when you gain a level in a second class, you don't get all of the proficiencies, but there is a list of, you know, if you gain a level of barbarian, here's the proficiencies you pick up. But you don't necessarily get everything that comes with it, right? So that's... Uh, avoids people just sort of dipping into one or two classes in order to get a bunch of stuff in for level one. Um, and it also your class is uh, your, your spells known is, is class specific. So depending on the level of the specific class, the, cl the spells that you end up knowing in your spell casting classes is based on that class level. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, it does make some exceptions to or, or some clarifying points for some of the rules uh, for class features. For example, um, you know, just to stop people from gaming things, right? If you get Channel Divinity from uh, one class, you don't get extra Channel Divinities if you take another class that has it too, right? You get extra you, – you can use it the same number of times. You may get extra abilities that you can use Channel Divinity for, but you don't get to suddenly – double the number of class uh, channel divinities you get. Same thing with extra attack, same thing with unarmored defense. They don't stack when they're coming from different classes. And then they get into what I would argue is probably the most complicated part of 5th uh, edition multiclassing, which is figuring out how spellcasting works. Um, it is totally figureoutable, but I think every time when I played my my multi-class druid cleric, every single time I gained a level, I had to find and reference this section of the player's handbook and and remind myself, okay, so I gained a level. How does that change things? I, my class level's here, but my total character level's there, and they're different things, and they affect different stuff. And so there's there's fiddly bits to sort of pay attention to. Um, so there's a, a special chart. So you look at your total spellcasting levels, which is different than your character level or your class levels. And it can get a little bit confusing because um, 
most spellcasting classes count as full spellcasters, and this is where I want to put an apology out there. When we talked about the bard, I talked about oftentimes talked about how well the bard can be done like you want to do this with a little bit of magic, right? Uh, but I was I was told um, very clearly, and and I, I want to correct myself: a bard is a full spellcasting class. <laughs> okay. Um, so it counts full, though. So, you know, uh, cleric, sorcerer, wizard, bard um, count as a full spellcasting class. But you get half for paladins and rangers, and you get a third of a spellcasting class for every level of Eldritch Knight and Arcane Trickster. And so this is where it starts to get a little finicky, <laughs> right? And you always round down, and that determines your spell slots. Um, and then you throw in the, the trick of pact magic with, from warlocks as well. Uh, which adds in extra usability across multiple classes, which makes th- makes things all the more um, confuzzled, is the word I'll use. <laughs> so does anybody want to clarify any of the crazy, confusing things I just said about spellcasting in 5th edition? Unfortunately, I think you did a really good job. Okay. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah, multiclassing with spellcasting is... Uh, it, 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 it it's advanced D and D at this point. Uh, like this is not for beginners. Um, you know. So, so I do want to say one thing very much in its defense, uh, which is that it, it is a complicated system that is still probably the simplest available way to uh, mm-hmm. solve some specific problems. They didn't didn't want to a, a multi class spellcaster. So yeah, so it, it, I mean it's, it's it's and maybe second level thoughts, but nothing high. Yeah, so it's a decently balanced system. It works. It functions. It does create some weird things. Like when I played my my druid cleric, uh, there are certain levels where I have access to slots where I don't have spells at that level yet because I'm playing two full spellcasting classes, but my my class level was always lower than my character level. So every now and then it'd be like, Hey, I can cast fifth level spells, but I don't know any fifth level spells, you know? Um, But then you catch up, you know? Well, and also you can just use the at higher levels options for for your spells. And that's a a huge selling point of fifth edition to me. Well, and that's where, that's where clerics as, uh, as multi-classing classes actually works really well because they have those bonus spells from their domain. Uh, so so oh. you do actually know some of those higher level spells. You can get access to them a little bit quicker sometimes. Now, oftentimes uh, they're not actually the same level as where, where they are in other classes, but still. And to give a little preview of, uh, uh, of the Ravnica review we'll probably be doing soon, uh, they get uh, the uh, backgrounds in that, the, the guilds get... Mm. Uh, guild spells, spells at yeah. different levels so you can also add that into that mix of oh yeah I can just pull these guild spells in now, there do they, do they automatically know them or do they have yeah. access to learning them they uh, they know them if they can cast spells mm-hmm. they are known spells for okay. that so there you go there's another uh, possible option so yeah so that so so spell casting in multi-classing like on one hand in my experience when people want to multi-class, like picking up spell casting is like part of the point, <laughs> you know, um, people will multi-class without picking up spell casting classes, but I find more often than not, at least one of the classes is a spell casting class. Um, but it's also complicated. So be, just be prepared to, to go through that section and, and 
really sort of review it over and over and over again every time you level. There are some min-maxing uh, builds you can do with the non-spell casting mm -hmm. that, Absolutely. you know... Uh, uh, you know, barbarian and rogue, or uh, rogue and fighter, uh, have some 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 synergies that that can make them pretty impressive. Can you imagine uh, how many attacks a monk could pull off if they were also a fighter and had action surge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just hit you fifteen times, you know. <laughs> well, well, because two of the attacks are coming from bonus actions, they've actually. Mm. They actually handled part of that. There you go. Uh, it's it's fewer than a fighter. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. It's six rather than eight. Okay, I believe you. Yeah, and uh, uh, but yeah, there there are some things. There's some benefit for taking non-spell casting classes, but I would agree that most of the time it's going to be non-spell casting class plus spell casting class or spell casting class. Oh, I need to be a little more survivable. Let me take some fighter or barbarian or something like that. I mean, I think there's also value and interest in the spellcasting class than significantly different spellcasting class, you know, just to be able, you know, sure. add, add that re that flexibility or those extra slots or whatever it is. I'm a cleric of Azuth, so I have cleric wizard. Uh, yeah. yeah, cleric wizard because it's the god of wizards. Right. And, and I think it's always, I think a big question is going to be whether you have the ability scores to, to make that up. work. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's this casting class right now. Um, and then there are, uh, well, okay, two if you count uh, Eldritch Knight and three if you count Arcane Trickster, sorry. Right. Um, and, and then you have your various wisdom casters. And then you have a rather larger number of charisma casters. Well, and so that's where like my cleric druid worked because they're both wisdom based. So I could focus oh, all sure. of my stat bumps on wisdom in the same way that like a warlock sorcerer or or bard combining any of those works pretty well because they're all charisma based. So sure, wizard gets to be and alone I... without intelligence. Yes, in so many ways. I've <laughs> seen a lot of spellcasters take a level in fighter. Or a level in cleric, hmm. uh, life domain cleric especially uh, will immediately give you um, heavy armor proficiency. Uh, and when you're proficient, when you're proficient in armor, you can cast spells with no problem. You, so you can be a full plated mage. That's a that's a really good point. Um, there's the, the sort of oddity of if your uh, proficiency in a weapon or an armor comes from a uh, subclass feature or a class feature rather than being one of the proficiencies uh, just generally granted by that class. And, and that is a really strange dis distinction to try to make in words. Um, then you do get the thing as opposed to not. Hmm. And so, so exactly as he's saying, you do get heavy armor proficiency that way, even though the fighter class, which always grants heavy armor proficiency, doesn't grant it to multi-classing. Right. Right. And most people sidestep it by just being a fighter at level one and then going to wizard or whatever, uh, which is just more metagaming. But that's, I think that was a big discussion that was had like in the first like year of D and D fifth yep. edition is which order should you multi-class in? Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, cause you know, we were going to be talking about this. So I did some at the discussions that happen online 
one of the things that comes up a lot uh, in various message boards, and admittedly gets shot down relatively quickly, is the sheer number of people who want to multiplicalize it back into the class so they could get two different subclasses. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I mean, I can see the argument for that, and I can see the interest in that. Um, Sure. Fighter plus... uh, 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 Battlemaster Fighter plus... Eldritch Knight, right? Not not the worst worst uh, you know idea well, from the fighters' perspective from the from a game balance standpoint. No, right, it's a terrible idea. So so that's where the issue is. Like so so narratively, I could absolutely see the argument, and I could see how that would make sense, and it would be a fun and interesting character, and what have you. But the issue is that each subclass then has certain things that play off of the same mechanic in fighter. And when you have two subclasses playing off of that same mechanic uh, of the base class or whatever, then, then that, that ability suddenly becomes even way, you know, way overpowered. Right. Well, sure. And, and they don't allow it obviously. Uh, But the, the thing that prompted me doing that was because I was looking at the rules and I was like, okay, I haven't actually investigated this. Can you be in two different subclasses at the same time? Because the rules, as written, doesn't say you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, so I went looking, and that was the most common thread: was can I be two different subclasses in the same class by using multiclassing rules? <laughs> <laughs> and but, I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I, I think Jeremy Crawford, who, in a, I mean, as, as far as I know, is the final word, has said no, no, you can't. But, right. um. I think that would be pretty neat to be kind of like fifth edition. No. Uh. <laughs> like if you wanted to go that kind of like kind of pseudo epic and just throw CR out the window because you would kind of have to. But uh, well, if you wanted to have fun with something and like let someone be two different subclasses. It, and actually, I will toss this up here. So let's say, you know, my fighter who is a Battlemaster fighter, I make. Um, you know, a, uh, a, a three levels of ranger as well, uh, and get to the point of that you would normally in ranger be able to take a subclass in ranger. Mm-hmm. Can you be a sub have the subclass from ranger? Absolutely. Yeah, I, that was my read, but it kept as I read it, I was like, Yeah, and, the, and that, I could, that seems uh, like it's too much. No, I mean, it, it would it, have to be specifically uh, barred by yeah. the text. No, yeah, absolutely, you can. Uh, and and I could, I mean, I could see an argument. Like if I wanted to multi-class fighter fighter into two different subclasses, like I mean, you're giving up a lot too because now I'm level three, level three, and I've just gained the same abilities twice, but they're not going to stack. You know what Correct. I mean? So suddenly I'm just giving up all of my class abilities for several levels that they overlap. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, the rules as written, actually, you cannot, uh, multi-class into the same class, right? The, the, the language speci- specifies into a new class. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, if somebody came to me with that, with a desire to do that and had a good reason, I think I would probably aim them towards other ways that they could accomplish that, that narrative. 
Sure. You know, if you wanted to go into Eldritch Knight after being a Battlemaster, I think instead of doing that, I would encourage, you know, well, why don't you multi-class a little bit into Wizard or Sorcerer? Or why don't you um, pick up some of the, the, like, the Magic Initiate feat and Ritual Caster uh, feat, and then you can sort of get some of that same feel. Because um, there's other ways of getting into some of that, that, that el- those elements without actually multi-classing, right? Right. Uh, and actually, that raises a question that I would ask the the panel for discussion. Do we need multi-classing anymore? Yeah, so I was going to ask a, something similar, because you have certain class builds that are kind of combo classes anyway. You know, uh, one could argue that Paladin, in some regards, feels a lot like a fighter cleric. An arcane trickster is a wizard rogue. An eldritch knight is a fighter wizard. Um mm. You know, now the it's a fighter wizard that's more heavily leaned towards the fighter, and and the arcane trickster is more heavily leaned towards the rogue. But uh, you can kind of get some of those same elements plus the feat options. Um, so when should want somebody multi class instead of just looking at one of those other options? That's a similar angle or a different angle on the same question, I think, uh, Jeremiah. So I will say that uh, the thing that really gets me about multi-classing and the reason that I would shed no tears for it if it went away forever is the design constraint that it places on the uh, first one to let's call it four levels of any given class uh, because Mm -hmm. they want to put a break on class dipping yeah sure but but at the same time Um, they put a lot of effort in they put a lot of effort in fifth edition to not having dead levels. And so spreading those things out also like it accomplishes both of those goals, right? You eliminate dead levels and you don't heavily weight things towards the beginning. Uh, Sure. Except that there are uh, whole gameplay loops that could work in theory if you didn't have to correct for the potential of multi-glassing. Sure. Yeah, I I think Mike Merles said something about uh, barbarians exist in the state that they're in because they were afraid of what would happen when you uh, combine barbarian with a rogue. Okay. Yep, that's literally the reason that you don't have a uh, strongly viable two-weapon fighting barbarian as a subclass right now. Mm. Uh, He says so in uh, Happy Fun Hour. So what you're saying is, I need to make a barbarian rogue. (laughs) It it can work. It's just that um, the benefits of uh, rage and the benefits of sneak attack are carefully designed to not work together very Mm. well. Yeah. Uh, I I would argue, from from my perspective, is that the reason we have multi-class in 5th edition is because we had it in all the other editions. Well, the reason we had it in the other editions is so that we could uh, effectively build those things that we later developed game design tech to do mm -hmm. better. Like, uh, we had fighter mages because there weren't fighter mages. We had, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 you know, rogue uh, mage because there were no rogue mages. Um, So I think we've, I think we've expanded. I think you're not... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, So I also want to uh, 
say one thing in strong defense of the idea of multiclassing, mm-hmm. especially the, um, the the third edition and fifth edition models of multiclassing, and that is that uh, something can change in midstream that you didn't plan for that changes the direction of your story. Right. True. Uh, our previous example with my fighter. Yep. I... You you didn't know at the start of play that you would ever even remotely consider you know, a little bit of Warlock as something you'd want to do. Um, and, you know, I, I suspect that if you went to a bunch of the critical role players, to use a, a example that a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, I'm betting a bunch of them didn't plan their multi-classing back when they were level one. Right. And I think that, that that's part of what I was going to say, right, is that there are strong narrative reasons that have nothing to do with with min maxing or game balance or whatever for allowing multiclassing and having that as an option because that's I mean that's where it sits in the rules right it's it's an optional rule you don't your DM could say no multiclassing mm-hmm. and 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 it, the game functions very well without it and mechanically I think you're right Jeremiah I think mechanically you could just get get rid of it and it'd be fine but there's narrative reasons I want to have the option. Um, sure. And there's also like there's also a flexibility argument to be made, right? The, the idea of having the flexibility of making the combinations that I want to make to help build the character that I want to build uh, in, in a way that's not like a modular, like I'm picking elements and that's my new class, but but I can kind of sort of still make my own class by combining some things in interesting ways. Uh, and and deciding how you progress in that. Maybe I just want a little bit of this and a lot of that, and that's my class, but it's not really an option that's available in the given class uh, builds. So I like having that flexibility as an option for people who are a little more familiar with the system, have a DM that are comfortable with it, and and can tell their story that way. So I, I, I don't I don't think we need multi-classing, but I like the fact that we have multi-classing as an option. I, I do too, but it was more of a, it's a discussion that needed to be had mm-hmm. because things are different now. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, do we think they're different enough um, that, that we don't need this anymore? Uh, you know, I have designed classes. Uh, Brandis has designed uh, classes and subclasses. And, you know, we we can come up with a subclass that meets the niche that people mm-hmm. want, but... Uh, I think that uh, I I do like the midstream. That's probably the best argument for multiclassing is the midstream change. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I would offer is if you're doing the midstream change, have that discussion, um, uh, particularly with some of the spellcasting options, have the, 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 the story discussion with the game master. Um, you know, I have a story reason why I need to, you know, where I might pick up Warlock. You know, I, I already know the guy. He's kind of a, a, a pal, making him a patron makes a certain amount of sense. If I'm a sorcerer, like, I, I, I'm i going to multi-class into sorcerer. Okay, what's the story reason there? Because right. your power comes from your blood. Why weren't you like that already? Right. Now, um, now you say that... Late. I mean, come on. You, well, you... sure, but I mean, having that discussion makes it more interesting. Sure. Sure. Now, you argue that that is the most compelling reason for multiclassing, and I'm going to push back a little bit on that 
because your argument is um, the flexibility of building classes that are combinations or mashups or whatever um, is less compelling to you because you know we can design classes and subclasses and whatever. But you're also taught looking at a panel of four people who have been playing for decades each, right? Sure. Um, if I'm a newer player, I don't know. Like I've seen. I've seen, I've been the newer player, even in my first decade, probably, of playing the game, where it's like, hey, I'm going to build my own subclass or my own class, and then it ends up being grossly overpowered and not well-designed at all, because it was, you know, conceptually built and not very well mechanically built, uh, and, and expecting that people are just going to be able to jump into that and do that well, um, like, why, when you could provide them clear guidelines for how to just take a couple of things and mash them up that, that we know works and make well, your they, combinations. They, they buy it from, from, from people like me and Brandis. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, so. If I may be so bold as to say, uh, I think that what we are discussing kind of showcases one of the core strengths of fifth edition. Um, it, it, it kind of does allow for some min-maxing. It allows for people to find these little loopholes and niches, but never to the point where I see something like, oh, that's so completely broken. Mm -hmm. But the converse of that is it allows for people to make characters that are completely not optimized, and it doesn't take away from the story. Sure. It's probably the first edition that I've seen where people aren't pushing you to be like, no, you have to be the best whatever that you can be, or you're going right. to drag the group down and we're going to TPK. Like, I don't have, the, I don't see those discussions certainly as much as I, I did when people would talk about fourth edition mm -hmm. uh, or even third edition. It's one of the advantages uh, of the flat math. Yeah, absolutely. Like you might not have the best character you can be. You might be like a really crummy monk. That's also um, a, a rogue or something, but you still are well enough that you can hit whatever you need to hit. Right. You're still well enough that you'll, You'll bumble through and maybe the bumbling is actually part of the story that that makes your character unique and interesting but you're never so much of a drag on the party that it's gonna detract from everybody else's fun right. where in previous editions someone was like i'm gonna be a bard with three charisma because that's what i want to do and everyone would groan and just know that they were going to have a bad to, time to be fair they do that now if you tried to play a bard with a three charisma. The, there is a certain <laughs> point of it, like, okay, well, okay. You're, you're being silly. Right, um, I suppose. But no, I, I, I do agree with the point. I, I mean, it's no, obviously, you want to see sandbagging, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that, yeah, there's the people who are just obviously being obtuse and, 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 and ridiculous. But, but I think. I, my, my yeah, point. I think the point stands that, that in third and fourth edition, in my experience, you had to optimize. And you had to plan and you had to be that min-maxer or else the entire group suffered for your lack of ability to sort of do your part. Yeah. yeah. If anyone was like, I'm going to be a warlock because it makes sense for my character, people would rebel. They would they would uh, openly uh, right. riot at the table and say, no, you, you can't do that. We're about to hit the boss and you're going to tank us, man. Right. So yeah. good point. I, I I I have similar issues with the um, the phrase "you're doing it wrong," right? With your character decisions, like yeah, I, you know, if I decide at, at some point to play the warlock, I don't want to have to deal with uh, somebody saying, "Well, you're doing it wrong." Nobody's going to say that in this edition. At least none of the people I play with, anyway. The edition does not encourage it uh, in yeah, the way some previous ones did. It, it does. It, it's not going to suddenly make me not useful at the table right if i decide to do that um 
And also, because of the way 3rd edition, particularly 3rd and 3.5, was constructed, it was designed as a tool set for making your characters. And that encouraged people to think about it in a much more mechanical fashion and looking Mm -hmm. for advantages. Mm -hmm. Um, 4th edition uh, sort of removes some of that mechanics, but that thinking was still present. Fifth edition feels much more like a spiritual successor to second edition in some regards. Like here's mm-hmm. we, we, we kept the ideas that we thought were cool out of third and fourth, but really it feels more like a, a, a an evolution of second edition. Uh, I mean, it, I, I've always said that fifth edition to me is is the weirdest thing because mechanically it feels like third and fourth, but spiritually I feel like I'm playing second. Yeah. I think the tone of the game is much more in line with second, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. And I, I have a really hard time putting my finger on all the little things that make that so, but I do think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it's, uh, but yeah, I, I do like that uh, multiclassing is a is an option uh, that uh, does not detract from anything. It doesn't. It's not overbalanced. Like you really. C- if you follow the rules as written, you are not going to break the game by letting somebody play uh, a multi-class character. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And they're not going to damage everybody else's fun by being so uh, unoptimized that they can't be useful parts right. of the party. So I, 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 I think that the multi-classing does the job it's supposed to do, uh, which is it gives you options yep so uh, it, it, it's listed in the customization options section right. of the player's handbook so we are over an hour at this point um you know pre-editing and whatever but um last thoughts i guess and we'll wrap up our, our conversation on multi-classing anybody else have any any other last thoughts we haven't had a chance to get out yet uh, we covered the feet based approach uh pretty mm-hmm. lightly but it's it's a, it's a really very versatile system because of everything that Magic Initiate and Ritual Caster can do for you. Mm. Um, because those two can give you so much entry-level access, um, it, it never gets to you know high-level access, not even a little bit, right. but... Uh, for entry level access, it's really strong. And and uh, ritual caster, I mean, that comes in super handy. <laughs> so, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you can also um, cover uh, party roles in ways that are a bit mm. outside of true multiclassing through feats. Um, just because you've got something like the healer feat, which at low levels um, covers for multitude of sins. Yeah. Um, Things like that. Yeah, and and somebody somebody mentioned earlier the idea of multi-classing a wizard or sorcerer or whatever into uh, a domain of cleric that allows you to get the heavier armor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could also go the approach of just picking up the feats that gives you access to that armor as well. You don't have to go multi-classing, and you can still sort of get that feel and do that thing. So yeah. true. The spending three feats to get there is to build all the way up to it. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've talked about my personal example a lot uh, with the 
uh, one of the options that I have talked with Brandis about, about maybe instead of taking Warlock, just taking a level, taking the feat Magic Initiate mm-hmm. to sort of reflect that he's dabbling in that side of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it, it's certainly an option doing the... Uh, building through feats allows you to customize your character in ways that people, I, I think, discount too easily. Well, and, and, it, and it's easy to do that because the game is built to make your core stat so important and it's hard to give up that stat bump mm-hmm. to sure. pick up the feet. So I get it. Ishmael, you're going to say a last thought? Yes, my last thought, just to kind of piggyback on what's uh, been said recently, is um, the, one of the other interesting kind of built-in approaches is uh, with through backgrounds as well, um, characters can pick up the roles that have not been mm. assigned. For instance, there's the whole fighter, mage, uh, thief, cleric. Um, so through the magic initiate, you could probably pick up a healing spell and a cantrip, spare the dying, or through your background, you can pick up the ability to pick locks and, and uh, disable traps. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another built-in way of just being like, we'll cover our grounds regardless of, of who is there, and that helps people make more interesting characters that don't have to necessarily uh, conform to, like, we have to this and we have to have that. Um, but that goes back to what I was saying about the multiclassing in general. Your options can only make your character more interesting uh, and maybe not necessarily more powerful, but they're, they're, they make your character um, only function that much better or only seem that much more interesting at the table. Mm-hmm. I get behind that. There was a brief time in D&D Next where the the rogue was uh, substantially under, underdeveloped as a class, and so everyone in my, my D&D Next game was playing fighters with a criminal background. <laughs> and it was just, why would we play rogues? We could be fighters who do the rogue stuff. Cool. Uh, I kind of already do that. But, well, that, that's true, but you don't necessarily claim to be the party's rogue. That's true. Uh, I, no, no judgment. It it works. It's really cool that it works. I right. love the background system for this exact thing. I think it's super cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it allows you to go. You know what? I don't really want to be a rogue, but I do want to be a criminal. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to be a rogue to be a criminal. Every, sure. Other people can can be, you know, commit crimes too. Very cool. All right. Are we good? Can I can I close it? Yes, sure. All right. Then that is the end of the episode. I want to thank all of you for, on the panel for joining us. Brandis, where can people find you if they want to find more brilliance from Brandis? Uh, I write for tribality.com, um, and I write for my own blog, uh, brandisstoddard.com, and you can find me on Twitter at brandisstoddard. And, and it occurred to me as I asked you this question that the the website you should have isn't brandastoddard.com. It's brilliance from Brandis. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be the product line that comes. There you later. go. There you go. Uh, Ishmael, what about you? I like to think these. Oh. I like to make humility part of my brand. There you go. Yeah. Ishmael. <laughs> uh, yes, I am on Twitter primarily as Elvin Wizard King, just as those three words sound. Uh, I think you can also find me on Facebook under the same name. Uh, but I am uh, found on Drive Through RPG, and uh, what will soon go away as RPG now, as uh, Ismael Alvarez would be my normal name. Although that's a little harder to discuss. Sure. 
and and of course you're you're around here on the tome show uh, as much as as possible these days right yeah so there we go uh and jeremiah mccoy so i uh am a now a regular reader to the uh kyber chronicle uh over on uh dm skilled uh i have jeremiahmccoy.com where i do a lot of my own blogging and i'm on twitter as tech noir mm -hmm. yes you are uh, and I also want to thank everybody who's listening right now for supporting the show. Whether you're just listening and telling people about it, reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're at, uh, or shopping through our affiliate links through uh, for Amazon or DMs Guild, uh, we get a little percentage, but you get the exact same experience. Or perhaps being a patron of the show over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. If you want to get a hold of the show, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can also tweet at, at Tracy and, and tell her that you miss her in this episode. She is at Sarah Dark Magic, Sarah with an H. Uh, you can also tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can tweet the show at The Tome Show. This has been episode 313, where we played D&D DJ and mashed up some of our favorite tunes. In this episode of The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Questions are clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play DD. You don't dress up to play DD. You don't dress up to play DD unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play DD. You don't dress up to play DD. You don't dress up to play DD unless you want to, like me. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A, good S. D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario, then he or she asks, Where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo, we could play forever. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me. I'm on the wall.